0: I'm Susie Annetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, our very first for 2022, I'm speaking with designer Alvaro Catalan de Ocon, who's dialling in from his studio in Madrid. thought that perhaps we could start our conversation today with you telling us a little bit about the PET lamp project.
1: Well, the PET PET lamp project, um, uh, the name responds to the material to PET, PET plastic, Mm -hmm. which is what uh, plastic bottles are made out of. And uh, it's a project which started on 2012 and it started in uh, Colombia. Uh, giving an answer to a problem in the Amazon River with plastic waste in those times, like 10 years ago, more or less. And um, it tried to um, more than resolve the problem, which was a little bit maybe too much for, uh, for, for the project that we were dealing with. It was about creating consciousness around the project. And there was um, an exhibition going in in the museum in Bogotá, in the Museum of Modern Art in Bogotá, in the Mambo. And there was an architect and landscape designer and and an artist, a plastic artist, um, uh, giving their interpretation of that problem. And they wanted the perspective of 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 an industrial designer. So being in Colombia, Uh, I thought about uh, not necessarily uh, using industrial processes, but um, uh, working with local craftsmen, which is much richer than industry. And also instead of um, uh, recycling, I wanted to reuse the object because there wasn't the infrastructure for recycling. So I thought it was better to upcycle to change the use of, of that plastic bottle which, which was um, thrown away and was not useful as the object it was meant to be uh, when it was made. You know? So it was turning it into a lamp uh, by local craftsmen using their traditional weaving techniques. And that, that was um, also done with a group of artisans which were displaced by um, the guerrilla war in Bogotá. They were originally from uh, the Cauca region. They were y Apidadas, uh, which was the, uh, the etnia they belonged to. Um, so it, it had all of those ingredients which, uh, which had that ecological background, uh, that issue that had to be um, pointed out of the plastic waste in a river, in the Amazon River. Uh, and then with that social impact through working with uh, displacements uh, by the guerrilla war, which was very active at the time. Um, And then also um, through the use of a design methodology, but uh, making use of crafts instead of industry. So those are the four uh, big points, which, uh, which I think that have kept the project alive for these 10 years. And then also once we presented the first collection in Rosana Orlandi in Milan, Mm. uh, the year after in the international fair, uh, furniture fair, uh, we decided to move to other countries and try uh, what if we have this um, global object, the plastic bottle uh, combined with this global craft, which is basket making and um, travel around the world seeing how we can Collaborate with the most incredible craftsmanships uh, in Chile, in Ethiopia, uh, in Ghana, in Thailand, in Japan, um, and also in, in Australia with an mm. with Aboriginal species from the Northern Territory in the Arab land. Uh, so it's been like traveling uh, in time in a way it's been like uh, more an adventure. Than just a design project, you no. Know? Uh, mm. So it's become a very anthropological experience, really.
0: Mm, it sounds like it. I'm really glad that you mentioned Rosanna Rolandi because I think our listeners may not necessarily uh, be able to recall the image of the PET plastic labs um, just by name, but I think. Anyone who's been to that iconic space in Milan will instantly remember exactly what lamps we're talking about. So I'm I'm really glad uh, that you mentioned that. So I wanted to go back to the issue of the plastic waste and the river pollution. Um, You know, when did you first become aware of that project, of that problem? Sorry, was it through this project? And had you uh, kind of worked? with waste material or you know in in that kind of sense on previous projects or was this your first exposure to that
1: well it was a theme which was starting to be studied at at that time uh, where uh, it was starting to be to be uh, like um, constant you no know, talking about that seventh continent in the middle of the ocean of plastic waste being Collected in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, at the Pacific, no, and uh, but no one really knew much about it, and mm. um, and then came this brief in Bogota, in because my daughter is half Colombian, so I was there on holiday, so it wasn't really like a proper design mm, brief, no, it was it was more like I was there and it just happened, and. Um, and it was the first time I really got the chance to get into an experience of this kind. And it was done in a very, um, very fresh way. I mean, it was, it, it, we, we were talking and then just the idea popped out. And uh, I came back to Spain and spent a year with the idea in my hand, in my head. And suddenly I started doing my first trials in the studio with, uh, with the designers in the studio and trying out in a very basic way. And we saw the potential and then we went back to Colombia to try it out. And it worked out so well and it worked so naturally. It was the first time I worked with artisans rather than industrial processes. And that really changed my my approach towards my my work. Mm. Uh, and it was the first time I was using um, recycled products and uh, materials and uh, making it the central um, theme of my projects, really.
0: Okay. And so you just mentioned earlier that the project now is, I guess, celebrating 10 years, which is quite an achievement. How long did you spend in that development and trial phase before you were actually able to launch a finished product?
1: What we do, the idea took that, year, that first first year in the studio to develop and then we went for one month, not two months to do the workshop in Bogota and then it took us another extra year to put everything together and sort out the production somehow because we knew that we didn't want it to be a one-off. We wanted to be a real product, so the project had to be alive as long as there was a demand on the object, on the mat- on the product. Uh, we didn't want to go to a community to create just ex- expectations, no, and and then go into mm, Milan, Rossana Orlandi, make the big show and disappear. No? I think that that would have been the the worst scenario for the weavers. Um, so that took us a year to organize that workshop so we always have a local partner to keep the project alive because we think Mm. that from from far away we cannot manage uh, that way and then at the same time uh, it took us that year to organize the studio from a very different perspective no, as how you usually organize a studio this is we, we don't have a we have a a department which is based on, on sales and uh, shippings, shipping to the studio and shipping out from the studio to the clients, and then production. So it's not like the normal design studio, which is maybe cleaner uh, with computers and uh, maybe prototypes and mock-ups, but, but we do real production in the studio. We don't manufacture ourselves, but we put together all the pieces and components which come from different countries, from different industry, from suppliers. No? Mm. So that's a different approach towards design, And I think that it's something which has happened after the 2008 uh, crisis, no? where industry closed itself a lot uh, in, in, in Europe. Uh, production was going massively to China. So it was very difficult to... Work as an industrial designer collaborating with industry. So this way we could manage ourselves the production, we could uh, keep control of the whole process. Um, and I think it, it's been uh, somehow a new attitude in design which, which has come from my generation. I and mean, in this self-production uh, is, is something quite, quite recent in a way. At least in Europe, uh, there was before, before the crisis, there was always a marriage between uh, the company and the designer. And the company had their, their duties, and the designer had their other duties. No? And each one had a very clear um, position in the project. But now, designers, we can, we can do the whole thing no? from our little studio uh, which was possible to, because of global globalization and because of uh, internet and uh, the how production has evolved these years, which has been exponential. You can do very mm. small, medium, or large productions without really needing to invest a lot of money. You know? mm. So that's that's how Petlamp really has been able to. We've sold 25,000 lamps so far. Wow,
0: that's so, incredible.
1: So it's already quite a little industry in a way, which is being mm. run by 10 people in the studio.
0: Wow, that's quite incredible. You, you mentioned earlier that this was the first time that you had partnered with craftspeople, uh, separate to, a you know as you said, a more traditional kind of industrial way of working as a designer. I wanted to know, prior to this, did you already have an interest in craft or would you say you had a passion for craft? did that develop over the the time that this project has been alive and and I'd like to hear a little bit more about how you researched you know so many different craft sort of traditions from across the world um from even Japan to Australia is obviously quite different could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Well crafts was kind of the opposite to 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 industry, no. So I, I was, mm, I, I, was um, I I went to to um, the Instituto of Design in in Milan to study for one year. I did industrial design there, and then I did product design in Central Saint Martins in London, and it was a very industry-based uh, mentality. Crafts were uh, the opposite, no, the opposite side to it, and it wasn't well seen. To collaborate with with crafts, it wasn't something prestigious for a for an industrial designer in a way. Uh, but in those years, as I said, with the crisis, th- that had to change. I mean, um, and the designers started to do things on their own with their hands, so they were becoming makers, uh, or as I was doing, uh, we were becoming self producers, and crafts was another way of making objects. No? And um, and I found myself uh, very comfortable uh, working together with craftsmen. I found it very enriching. Uh, it was a life experience, not just a professional experience. Spending a month, two months with indigenous crafts, people, uh, artisans in Bogota uh, was a uh, incredible. It was, from my point of view, richer than making a render in a computer and sending it to a company to, to make a prototype. No? And, um, and also, uh, we were working with, uh, with the craftsmen, and we, mm, from the first moment, we understood that we had to give them freedom of creativity as well, of creation. We couldn't just send them a drawing or a render and ask them to make what we wanted to do. So we created a way of working which was a real collaboration. It wasn't, it's a product which we do not know how to make and maybe they wouldn't have thought about doing it. So it wouldn't exist without both sides of the project. And I think that, that makes it richer and uh, makes it very unexpected. We, we don't know what we are gonna obtain we've put the kind of the rules of the game but we are not making the object so we open when we receive the boxes in the studio we don't really uh, know the finished product which is something very a very different approach as a designer we decide the shapes of the lamps uh, we create the collection of the lamps so that they are compatible with previous collections, with they are compatible between themselves so that they fit in the boxes easily. You can pile one inside of the other. Uh, we think on how to create a mould and how to attach the bottle onto the mould, how to cut the bottles in stripes, but we do not decide on the colours and the patterns, which is what the artisan really knows. It's part of their culture, so we give them the freedom and that uh, has actually enriched the, the product enormously because they are all unique pieces. And the artisan, uh, when he starts a new lamp, he, he starts a new creative process. No? And that's how they've been able to uh, work on the project with passion for these last 10 years. So for us, really working with, uh, with people with craftsmen, with uh, ancestral techniques, has been an enormous source of inspiration, of um, enriching our our lives in a way. We've met the most incredible people when we were in Australia. Imagine sharing one and a half months uh, with nine fabulous weavers from aremland i mean that's something that's a dream come true no mm. and the same in yeah and in ghana and in colombia and in chile so it's become like the perfect excuse to travel and to to know <laughs> different cultures to meet different people that you would have never expected and mm. also living in a country close to a craftsman is the best way to to actually connect with the country with the land with their materials with the landscapes with the uh, they know better than anyone else uh, their surroundings you know
0: mm. so
1: it's been the best way to travel really and to i can imagine to, meet and to deepen into them
0: Yeah, that sounds great. I'd love to hear if you have any specific stories, you know, now 10 years on into this project, and as you said, you've spent time with different communities, Uh, you know, have you had any feedback or stories that you can share with us from particular weavers or craftspeople or communities in terms of the effect that this, the social enterprise aspect of what you're doing, um, you know, the effect that it's had on them or their communities. Have you, any sort of standout stories you can share?
1: Well, um, in Colombia, it's it's beautiful how each community has its own way of responding, no? And in Colombia, it's funny how uh, we started with five or six weavers and uh now you immediately get to to know that that they they pass they start to actually um contact other weavers, generally from the family, uh to collaborate for them so they employ other weavers, you no? Know? And uh and we know that they the molds we did in wood uh they go they are kind of they go from one hand to another, you know? and uh, when we need 50 lamps, uh, we get them done with no problem in the time we we ask them for. But if we ask for 200, we know that they also manage. You no, know? and that's beautiful how it's becoming their own little industry, and they have that uh, mold with them, which is like really valuable for them. They nearly sleep with it. You know? It's like something to, and and at the beginning they they came to us. Uh, Give us the the, the the lampshades in Bogota uh, walking for two three hours in the middle of the city and now they come with a motorbike and they are taking their children to school and another one is buying a little house or, or, so it's it's really changing their uh, the way of living in the city because it, also they you have to understand that they are uh, very they come from from towns in the, in the, basically in the jungle of very small groups of people, maybe I don't know, 50 people in the town, no? and suddenly they find themselves in a city of 10 million people, and they have, they are completely displaced. No? And this project has allowed them to reconnect in the city. No? Weaving for them is a way of connecting, a way of socializing. And uh, a city like like Bogota, which is so enormous and so aggressive, uh, has allowed them to get together again as a community in the city. And Mm -hmm. in the case of of Chile, for example, they have managed to, uh, our main weaver, who was working as a bricklayer, but was getting quite old to... To keep on with that hard uh, work, you now in winter going outside to work and to do bricklaying, and and now he's he stopped uh, working as a bricklayer and now he's only doing pet lamps and employing other weavers to uh, to make the production. No? So it's fantastic how how it's a, there are small changes for maybe not many not a big amount of people but we are still working with maybe 100 weavers as a, as a, as a total, no? so, which is mm. for us very, I mean, it makes us proud of, of those small changes in, in, in the people we have also shared so such, such, such many experiences and so, so, so long time, no? and mm. also it's a way of keeping the connection. No? We, we were in Chile nine years ago But we still recognize the hand of the weaver who has done the the lampshade, which we receive here in Madrid, and that's beautiful. Mm. Mm. And then also another uh, funny experience was that one day we received an email from a community of weavers in another area of Chile, and they had copied um, our lamps, which we made in um, Ethiopia, in Addis Abeba. And suddenly it was such a perfect copy that we couldn't uh, distinguish the original from the copy. And uh, of course, we were surprised to receive an email from a Mapuche weaver uh, from Huente Lolen, like eight hours away from Santiago de Chile. And and we told them, well, why don't, uh, this is fantastic. Your capacity of weaving and getting in contact with us and having the uh, the strength to do it no? and the security to do it. But why don't we do a special collection with your technique and with your colors and with your shapes? And so we went back to Chile and did another project with another uh, workshop with them and did a specific collection of Mapuche uh, pet lamps, which was great. And now they feel proud of their piece, no. while Mm. before it was was something else. It was Africa. There was an African touch in a mapuche craft which had no meaning.
0: That's a great story. Thank you. Um, I would like to ask you next about your Plastic Rivers collection. So this is a carpet collection for, I believe it's a Spanish brand, GAN. Could you tell us, I believe there is a lot in common between the Petlamp project and and what you've created with Plastic Rivers, but could you tell us a little bit about how that project came about and your inspiration for those carpets?
1: Yes, well, I was invited to give a talk on Petlamp in uh, Barcelona. And there I met uh, Mapi Milet, the art director of Cannes and she well, is a rock company they only make rocks and hmm. uh she she was experimenting with a fiber made out of pet plastic recycled pet and uh she came to me and said well i would if there's a designer who I would like to collaborate in doing a pet uh, carpet that would be with you, you know? so um it was it i i like it when actually projects to start like this no, with a brief and uh, with a need of a company uh, needing a response from a designer no? so that's a very natural way of collaborating that's when i think i like to actually collaborate with a company uh, so we started thinking on how this could happen they sent me a sample of the textile and when I saw it, uh, I immediately felt that it had not uh, its own personality as a fibre. It looked, actually looks like, like wool. It resembles another material. So that was the, the spark you know, for the project. And also it was uh, taking the same uh, theme, the same issue around plastic waste, Uh, but seen from another perspective no pet lamp works from a reuse upcycling uh, Mm -hmm. perspective so you have the bottle and we use the bottle and we use what the bottle uh, can give us once it has lost its function but instead in this case we were working on recycling now we have a fiber which has nothing nothing to do with the bottle it's a bottle which is turned back into a raw material and then turned into something else, like a thread, which you saw with... uh, So Mm.
0: uh,
1: as the material didn't have any specific message, in a way, on it, it doesn't tell you anything about the origin of the material, we thought that the object had to tell that story so we researched on, uh, on those 10 rivers, which are the main uh, highways of plastic waste into the ocean. Now, 80% of the plastic comes from, from the rivers, uh, 80% of the plastic in the ocean arrives from the rivers, and mainly from these 10 rivers. And it's also something which once we started to investigate, we realized that it was something very temporal. So it's we were doing the research in 2018. Uh, we started the project then in 2019. Then the pandemic came and everything got much longer. But we realized on those 10 rivers that uh, the Yangtze, which is in China, uh, was the most contaminated but by by far i mean it contaminated more than the other nine together and three times ten times more than the other nine together so we understood that there was something uh, behind no it wasn't just like local plastic bottles going into rivers but it was more to do with the commercialization of waste now if we had to do the research again it wouldn't be those same ten rivers now actually the most Contaminated river is in Philippines. It's a very short river, like twenty-five kilometers long, but it's by far the most contaminated. So, um, so the the project uh, tries to document this uh, uh, reality to do with the plastic river and ha- the plastic uh, waste and how um, how I I wanted the object to. To show that uh, problem and to do it in the most objective possible way. You no, know? so the uh, rug is uh, taken from an image from Google Maps. Uh, it represents exactly the river. It represents it in its scale, which is shown in the actual rug. You no, know? in the um, the edges of the rugs is a classical uh, white and black line, which is used in maps to give the scale of the map. The heights uh, of the rug is cut according to the heights of the landscape. Um, The colors, which uh, has been nearly the most complicated part of the project was to actually objectivize objectivize the color to uh, match the color that we were seeing on the screen, which is an RGB color. pass it on to CMYK, and print it out, and then from there get the colors from the chromatone, which is the way you have colors in textile. So it tries to be the most accurate, accurate representation of that river as possible. No? And then on the sea, we have written the name of the river, the amount of rubbish which carries onto the sea, which is represented on that rug, and the year when we did that research. so it's it really is a document which is what our map is. Map tries to document something this rug is a real map um, uh, and and at the same time, it's a very powerful image. I think it's it's a beautiful rug. Uh, at the beginning, I thought that uh, it could be a little bit too uh, conceptual based, but then as an object, it works incredibly well in an, in an interior. So I always try uh, uh, to have these objects working in different, uh, from those different perspectives. Now, it's not just like the message you want to transmit. It's not only that, but it also has to work as an object. And we were surprised when we saw the first prototypes arrive. Uh, so it's an object which actually grabs your attention from the first moment you see it, but then there are many layers of uh, understanding in a way. Mm. And this is uh, interesting also how it's written. We've, we've written it on a, on a textile which is sewn on the back of the, of the carpet. No? So it's like somehow we are hiding the rubbish under the carpet, no? under the rug. <laughs> Uh, That's
0: an interesting metaphor.
1: It's full of met- metaphors which you can read them or not, but they are there. You know? Today I got someone in the studio who wanted to see the lamps and uh, wanted to buy one. And after half an hour talking about the lamps and seeing all the different collections and seeing them hanging on the roof and on, on, the, on, on uh, the workshop downstairs, But it wasn't until the very end that he realized that there were some bottles in that lamp. Mm. So I I thought it was very interesting how the object defends itself as a lamp, as a beautiful lamp, as a contemporary design object. But then he understood that there was a bottle and then he understood all of the many layers behind uh, having a bottle in in a lamp which has been crafted by a weaver in Colombia. So I think that the carpet somehow also has that double, triple lecture.
0: So clearly there are a number of uh, differences between the two projects that you've told us about, Um, not to mention the reuse versus recycling aspect, but clearly there are also some similarities and, you know, the environmental and social responsibility aspects would be the strongest and most obvious. The phrase protest design has been used to describe your work and I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, uh, you know, whether that's something that you identify with and, and what that phrase means to you. Uh,
1: well, you you usually talk about protest art, no, or protest music, uh, like in the 60s, uh, Bob Dylan singing... Uh, songs with a strong message, no, uh, and somehow in design it's difficult to to think of an object which can actually communicate uh, a contemporary issue. No, it's it's more like uh, an object which works well and uh, it's comfortable and it's useful and it's uh, beautiful. No? And I think that's from some uh, some some. Ten years ago, uh, fifteen years ago, with I was very inspired by drop design in in, in uh, Holland, and mm-hmm. um, and how they were uh, starting to work on the storytelling behind objects. No? Uh, so it wasn't just the object itself; it had to work as an object, but it also had to tell a story. And I think that uh, that's something which is happening now in design, and that I'm. Uh, looking after with uh, projects like Pet Lamp or Plastic Rivers. Now it's not just a beautiful object, a decorative object, uh, uh, useful, functional, ergonomical, uh, but it also tells a story, and it tells a story which is um, uh, dealing with a contemporary issue. Something that I think that design designers. Uh, have the strength to materialize their ideas in objects, but also to communicate, and that's maybe stronger. You know, uh, we've made 25,000 lamps, which I, I can imagine it's a lot of a, a big amount of lamps, but at the same time, it's nothing uh, if we think on the scale of the problem, no? which is millions of plastic bottles. Uh, but on the other hand, we if we communicate. Well, the project we can arrive to millions of people. You know? We can arrive to millions of people through uh, interviews like this one, or through appearing in a TV or in a newspaper, or uh, people who sees the project in Rosanna Orlandi. There are sixty thousand people going through, uh, and 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 then you can start to think that you can make a difference as a designer. You know, it's more. Uh, also, the storytelling, the storytelling behind the object, which can actually help to change things, to uh, create a change, you know, uh, in the story which you are trying to tell with that object. Mm.
0: Well, I would like to perhaps focus your attention now on Australia, um, which is where I am based and where you will be visiting very soon. We're recording this a little ahead of uh, time um, of your visit to Melbourne Design Week. And I, I first, before we get to Melbourne Design Week, wanted to talk about your partner here in Australia, Spence and Leider, and perhaps how that relationship came about and why you felt like that were, there was an alignment there of values perhaps and... Um, if you could talk a little bit about that it'd be great
1: yeah. well i met uh, fiona in uh, cool. in Rosanna orlandi the first year we showed a pet lamp there the colombian collection and she fell in love completely with the with the, with the object with the, with the lamps um, and and uh, we connected very well i think fiona has an incredible passion for design and uh, and uh, once she heard about the story and everything which is behind the object she uh, fell even more in love you know, with with the whole project and um, she invited me to to present the collection it was probably 2014. Uh, in the same way as she's inviting me now to present uh, the Plastic Rivers uh, during the Melbourne Design Week. And uh, when we did the experience in uh, Rameginning in uh, Australia, she was also extremely uh, passionate about it. She came with us to Rameginning for some days to help us in the experience of working with uh, this incredible artist from and. Uh, it it really was well I, we feel nearly like a, a European family and the Australian family you know for us it's it's we feel so close in in how we understand the experience of uh, living with design me as a designer and she as a um, buyer and representative of of design pieces um and it's been going on for now, nearly ten years.
0: So mm.
1: It's going to last for longer. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I imagine that must mean a lot to both of you. I think when you have such strong values, that it is incredibly important to find a partner that that who shares those same values. So it's it's great that you found that. Um, with Spence and Leider in Australia. And on that, as you mentioned, they're bringing you out to Melbourne for Melbourne Design Week this year. Um, and if you don't mind, maybe we'll close out with you telling us a little bit about what we can expect to see from you there this year.
1: Well, we are going to present um, three of the four rugs in Spencer and Lida, And actually it's going to be the first time they are going to be shown because they were going to be shown first in Milan in April, during the furniture fair, but because of the Omicron vi- virus, it's it's gone on to June. So we mm. will be showing them in Melbourne before being shown in in Milan, which is where it was going to be the, the official launch. We showed in September, uh, one of the one of the rocks, the uh, Ganges River. And uh, Rosanna Orlandi won the first prize, actually, of the Plastic uh, Guiltless Plastic Prize Award, uh, she gives every year. Uh, so, so I think it's going to be very exciting to see the three rocks for the first time. It has been very difficult to develop the project because it was it's it's made in India, uh, and during this two, three, two years of pandemic, it has been very complicated. And after all of these times, seeing them hang in one same space, uh, it's going to be a fantastic experience. And then also uh, I'm going to be um, seeing the, uh, being part of the uh, Melbourne design, Week, which, which uh, she's going to be part of for the first time. She's opened a new shop, no, a new uh, showroom in Melbourne, mm. um, and and I mean it's going to be the opportunity also to go back, uh, since uh, since we did the Ramingin project with the uh, National Gallery of Victoria, uh, so it's going back to to a city which we have been very uh, very linked to, because we the experience in Australia for us has been uh somehow the the most amazing experience of our lives probably but at the same time one of the hardest because it was very very tough No, working in in land for such a long time and so far away and then presenting the lamps in national gallery and hanging them there and uh, so we we left enormous amounts of energy there and we are <laughs> I'm, I'm i'm looking forward to going back
0: Well, we very much look forward to welcoming you. I'm excited to see what you're presenting alongside Spencer Leiter. And uh, on that note, I wanted to say thank you for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you and I'm really looking forward to meeting you in person very soon. Thank you.